Welcome to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. You'll be able to find more Heartland sermons at hcc.ag or the Heartland Christian Center YouTube channel. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. We hope you enjoy this week's message by our special guest. Just to introduce myself, my name is Pastor John. Uh, Myself and my wife, Kelsey, who is sitting right over there, um, we've, yeah, yeah, give it up for her. I told you I wouldn't give you a shout out, but you get one, all right, begrudgingly. No, I'm just joking. But listen, we've been a part of Heartland now for, for many years. Actually, 17 of those years of ministry experience belong to me, so I'll take that. Not quite, not quite the 102, but we'll catch up there one day, Lord willing. We'll get there, but we, uh, we've served here now at Heartland, uh, uh, for over 17 years now for myself and about 11 now for Kelsey or more uh, in the, uh, our kids and our family, our student ministry, through the lines, through H4K, through our kids. We do our Elevate program at our local school. So that's been a, it's been a big heart of, of mine and ours. And I'll tell you, I don't take it lightly that, uh, that we're here a part of a church that cares so much for the community regardless of age. Our, our church, yeah, give it up for for what God's doing through Heartland right now, because God's doing big and incredible things, and, and it's exciting to be a part of it. So again, welcome, whether you're here at Valpo, we're here at North Judson, Wanatal, Hebron, Westville, MPH, God's doing big, big things. And I wanted to, uh, uh, last week, Pastor Phil was in a message. The question that he asked last week, and again, it struck a chord with me, it does, it, it's, it's a question that that is just like reiterated on my mind and in my heart. Maybe it's because I work with students so much. Uh, maybe it's because I have the opportunity to coach at one of our local schools or because we go into our, our Elevate program, which is middle school and high school at over seven schools right now. It's the concept of, of what is your name? Pastor talked about that, and he talked and he taught out of Luke chapter 14 where Jesus had an interaction with a man, and that was the question that he asked, and it was, what is your name? And, and again, when that name, when, when that question is brought up and a name was uttered, I'm going to tell you, there were people around that had impressions of that name after it was said, right? And I think, I think that we can maybe rely to it, rely, or relate to that a little bit. So I'm going to ask a question right now, and there'll be another question, so you can find uh, a spot on your notes and just jot it down. What is your name? Right? So that's, that's one question I want to ask you. What is your name? So write that down. Think about that name because, because again, as we write it down, there's, there's many layers to that when we ask it. And maybe, maybe there's, a, there's several different avenues of thought that come to it because I want us to now ask, what is behind that name that you wrote down? What is behind it? And, and I guess like what I'm asking is, what's the history of that name? When others hear that name, what do they hear? Right? Again, when Jesus asked that question, what is your name? And then you heard the name. There were people around there. They had memories come up. There was a history behind that name. There were experiences behind that name. So, so when others hear your name, what is that? What is that history? What is, what is that concept? When others hear, what do they hear? What do you think other people's experiences, their memories, or their recollections are when they hear your name said. Maybe you're around them when they hear your name, or maybe it's a group of people and you're nowhere around and they hear your name, and then all of a sudden, things start popping up into minds, right? The thing we have to realize is there's so much more to a name than just a bunch of letters, some consonants, some vowels that are strung together that sound nice, right? There's more to a name than that. And I think that when Jesus was asking that question, he understood there was more to just those letters, Right? There's, a, there's, a lot, there's a lot to it. People might hear my name, personally, John, and they might, they, then they think of others that had my name before me. My name is John Thomas Kilovas, right? That was my grandpa's name, John Thomas Kilovas, right? So it's confusing when we're in the same room. And then, and then you had his grandpa was John Thomas Kilovas, right? And that's just how it went down down the generations. Then you throw my, my brother was Thomas John Kilovas, right? My dad was Thomas John Kilovas. His grandpa was Thomas John Kilovas. So again, maybe they would hear my name and they would start thinking of the John Thomas Kilovases that came before us, right? And, then, and that's just, 
That's just maybe sometimes that's what happens. They hear your name and they think of somebody else that had your name or your name or something close to your name, the same first name. If, if it's unique, then they remember maybe one or two people that they've known during that. And, and, but admit it, though, how many of you guys in this room have had the luxury, the privilege of naming a child in this room? Have you had that opportunity Right? There's a lot that goes into naming your child. Let's, let's be honest. Admit it. There's a lot of names on that list that you refuse to name your child. Right? I don't know. Maybe you have to go back in the archives of your memory banks, right? But, but sometimes that list is almost a little bit longer than the list of potential names that you would like to name your child. And, and I'll just be completely transparent with you. My wife has taught now for going on 12 years at an elementary school. Every year, about 20 to 25 different names come into her classroom. I've been in ministry with families for over 17 years, like I said. And believe it or not, there was a history of names before I was even in ministry talking about students and kids, right? I'm going to let you know, there are names that I hear and it brings on PTSD for me, right? And that list of names of absolutely not, I'm never going to name my kid that name, like that happens, right? And that's why like I don't have, my, none of my kids were named Corey. Corey. I'm just, I'm just joking. I've known Corey since Corey was like four years old in our kids ministry right now. And now he's a great young man, but none of my kids' names are Corey. And that says a little bit of the fun that Corey had in our kids and our youth ministry growing up. But he is a leader now, which ties into the later part of this message. But again, like there's, there's a lot of things that we have. And again, we, we can think of it and elicits some type of emotion. There's something associated to it right now. Now we understand that. Like maybe it's the family that we come from. They hear our name and they think about those that came before you. Maybe it's our successes. When they hear your name, maybe you've got a highlight reel attached to your name, right? And, and I think that that's an incredible thing. I remember the first time I heard that there's a young man, and now he's a leader in our student ministry. He's very, very active. He's a part of our Honor Bound Motorcycle ministry. He does. He's in Bible studies, in prayer groups. His name is Tyler Hatchie. Tyler, raise your hand over here. Right before I even knew Tyler, yeah, give it up for Tyler. They don't even know what they're giving it up for you yet. I might have something really negative to say about Tyler. Tyler was terrible. I couldn't even stand seeing him in the streets. That's not it. But before I even knew Tyler the person, guess what? I knew Tyler the highlight reel in my mind because Tyler was a phenomenal basketball player in high school, right? And it was during COVID when we weren't able to be uh, at the games. My wife was the cheer coach for, for one of the local schools, and she was there, and it was a crazy game. The cheerleaders were able to be there, the coaches and that, but it was minimal crowd. And I remember her, her FaceTiming me during during the end of the game, and it was Washington, was it 21st century, Tyler? And I remember, she, and, and I could hear it, and she's like, oh my gosh, they inbound the ball to Tyler, they're down a couple points. It was an outlet pass down to Tyler, down at the corner. Washington had no business beating 21st century. The ball gets in Tyler's hand, and he hits a corner three to upset one of the best schools in the entire region. And Tyler Hatchie's name resounded from everywhere. And I, I can remember every moment of that, Tyler, because Kelsey had the camera on the floor the entire time. I just heard the crowd erupt. Right? So my memory is of that, but I'll tell you right now, his, like when I heard Tyler's name, it was synonymous with, with something. Do you still remember that when you go to bed? Like, is that one of the last things that rings through your head? Because every time I see you, I think about the floor and the upstairs balcony at Couch. I'm like, man, Tyler had a great game. But listen, our successes, that, that can be attached to our name, or, or maybe our mistakes, if we're not so lucky, can be attached to our name. Sometimes our public mishaps can be attached to us. And unlike Tyler, who gets to think about hitting a game-winning three, what, what we have now is every time we put our heads down, we remember of that embarrassing mistake that we made that people read about in the paper. Or they remember about us every time our name comes up or, or we have an interaction with them. Uh, maybe for you, when maybe you're like somebody else that I know, is that when they hear when they hear your name, maybe their memory of you is in kindergarten and you were coming out of the bathroom at kindergarten and your pants were soaking wet from like the waist down and they didn't believe your story that the sink went out of control when you were washing your hands and you just washed your hands really, really hard and thoroughly, but it got all over your pants. I don't know whose story that is, but maybe when they hear your name, John, that's what they think about, 
right? And they're like at a school of Morgan Township where then I ended up graduating with almost all of them. Like maybe that's the memory. Or, or maybe you're lucky enough <clears throat> that, that when, they, when they hear your name or your name comes up in conversation, the story happens where you were working construction for somebody that you grew up with. And, and that story that they, when they hear your name, the, the story that pops up is you, he was, your boss was holding the floor joist up and you had the nail gun and then you shot through and you missed the joist and it went right through his hand and his hand was nailed into the floor joist. And maybe, maybe that emotion is elicited, right? That story still happens, doesn't it, Matt? It was his dad right over there that I shot in the hand, right? And, but again, maybe your mistakes, maybe your mishaps, maybe, maybe there's something Maybe there's, <laughs> so, but listen, your name, a name, it brings up memories, right? It brings up emotions. A name might even bring up a label that leads into your name or that follows your name. And that label that follows could be an abbreviation, right? That shows your hard work, your education, your dedication, and your knowledge in a particular field. Maybe it's like an abbreviation that has to do with a doctorate that you have or, or some type of position in the medical field. And you have some letters that you worked really, really hard for, and they are a part of your name. And when they see that, all of a sudden, esteem follows. Or it could be something like pastor. Or it could be a name like supervisor over something in an occupation. And when you get that label that you've worked hard for, now you can hold that mantle over. And, and you know the effort that you put into. Or you're a manager over some type of project or some, something in an organization. Or maybe it's owner. And when they think about you, they think about the business or businesses that you own. Or the things that you have. Or, or maybe it's teacher and people remember the experience they had in your classroom. Or, or maybe it's a coach of something. And, and they remember how you led them and how you coached them. And, and the experience they had, positive or negative, as a coach. Or your label might even be something that you sought for your entire life. Like mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or aunt or uncle. And it's, it's something... and, and, and aunt or uncle comes before your name or you have a replacement name like mom or dad. I'll tell you this past year was a difficult year for me and you can all feel real, real sorry for me if you'd like. I'm okay with that. Uh, our youngest is now done with preschool and he's in kindergarten now, right? And again, all the emotions that makes, that means that we're older and now we're starting to reflect on how little time that we have left and he's already graduated in our mind again, like all that stuff. But it hit me hard. I really didn't process it that much until this past week at H4K, our preschool. The last seven years, I've had a child in our preschool. And for the last seven years, now my name has changed, but I was always, at first it was, oh, hey, look, there's Lenny's dad right? That was my name to everybody. Oh, there's Lenny's dad in the hallway. Hi, Lenny's dad. Like, it was that. It was so much, e like, it'd just be easier if they said my name, but that's who I was. And then it was Sammy's dad. There's Sammy's dad. Oh, look, Sammy's dad. I'd see him out in public at, at Walmart. Oh, look, Sammy's dad's over there, right? That was my name. And then the third child, it was the same thing for the last seven years. And it hit me hard. On Wednesday, I walked into lunchtime during preschool just to hang out with and see how everything was going, make sure everything was going smooth. It's been a great year this year for H4K, record-breaking. Kids, families are in incredible. And I, and I walk in and it was like nails on a chalkboard. I was Pastor John to him. And it hurt because I'm no longer anybody's dad in preschool. I'm Pastor John. They see me in the hallway and it's Pastor John. And again, I like that, but, in, but, it's, but it's different. I enjoyed the other, but, but here's the thing. I've noticed there is so much power in a name. And truly we understand that there's significance in the name. If, you under, if you're sitting here right now, you understand that. It's not the name that we're searching for, though, that we're struggling with, and it's not the name we're trying to change or redefine that we have issues with right now in our culture, and it's not that truly that we're dealing with. I know people that will, they will go to the courthouse and they will legally change their name, but they're still a void because it's not the name, it's our identity. That's what we struggle with. Who are we? What defines us? What is behind the name? And with our identity comes the question, who am I truly at my core? What is my identity? What is it? Where is it found? Does it come from my family? Does it come from my friends? Does it come from social media? Because we're inundated right now with who we should be and what we should think and what we should love and what we should accept. Is that where I should truly be looking from, looking for and coming from right now? 
<clears throat> and the more I've thought about it this past week, and I've been, I've been thinking about it a lot because of Pastor Phil's message last week, is he talked about it last Sunday, and I'm going to tell you right now, if you were not here last Sunday and you have not gone back, because I know everybody's go-to is if I miss Sunday, I can't wait for it to be online so I can watch it again. I know that, right? But if for some reason life got out of hand because life does that sometimes, you need to watch that message, you, you need to, because it's a foundational message. It's a foundational, it's foundational when it comes to the core of who we are, but it's also foundational if you want to find out what the heartbeat of Heartland is and the desire to be a light for our community and a light for those that have nobody. And, and the more and more I've been reflecting on that message, I start to think that even the question about identity, that's, that's not even what the question is, is that we're, that's not what we're battling with right now. We think it is, but I think that it actually goes much more deeper. I actually think the question that we struggle with is a question. We might not be able to define it or put words to it, but I think it's actually something that has kept some of us up at night. It keeps people up at night regardless of situation or life or of age. I think, I think that this question right now has kept up lawyers every single night, successful, the most successful. It's kept doctors up at night, business owners stay up at night because this question eats away at them. It keeps up pastors. I know that for a fact. I know it. There's not one that I've talked to that hasn't considered and thought and banged their head against the wall with it. It keeps up teachers. It keeps up administration of the schools that you send your kids to. I know it. It keeps moms awake and it keeps dads awake. It even keeps up students whether they're in kindergarten or they're seniors getting ready to go to high school. It keeps up young adults that are getting ready to move into their profession. It keeps up young husbands and young wives or seasoned relationships. It keeps them up at night as well. It keeps, listen, it keeps up the families of, of children that have disabilities and special needs. It keeps them up at night. And get this, believe it or not, it even keeps up the children that have special needs. This is not... This is not a bias. It's not something that only one person, and, and it's, it's not about what is my identity. The question that keeps us up at night, what is my worth? What is my value? Because if we don't know our worth, then we struggle to find everything else that we've talked about, including our identity. And, and, and one of the things that kind of hit, Hit me hard last week. Again, Pastor mentioned it. I'll keep going back to it. Until you watch it, I'm going to keep referring to it. I know you can't watch it now, but you will. Pastor mentioned that his ideology has shifted, and that's a big deal. Like, when you shift the way that you think on a daily basis, that's a big deal. And when somebody that I look up to as a mentor mentions that they are thinking a particular way, I'm like, well, maybe I should change the way I think. But that's just me. And he mentioned that he's been living his life focused more on what his obituary will say than what his resume says. And that, and that hit me. It was like, and, and I started thinking about it. And, and I've said it, again, I've said it before when I've done funerals. My prayer is that one day when I go, because guess what? I will. Don't know when, but it's going to happen one day. I want people sobbing at my funeral. I want them to cry. I want ugly tears, right? I, wa I want people, I, and I'm okay. I want people to look at my casket and say, you know what? He's looked better, and it makes him cry harder, right? Be honest at my funeral. Be like, yeah, they did okay, right? I want that to happen. Right? I want people, though, also to remember the impact that maybe I had on their life. I could care less about my achievements that are in the newspaper. I want to know that people valued me as a person in their life. Right? That's, that's, that's part of what I want to know. I, I, want that, I want that to be a legacy. That I Tim McGraw says it really good, too. Maybe you've heard it. He says that he wants his funeral to be standing room only. All right, so maybe you can relate to country music, all right? But, I'll get, but listen, we live in a society today where value is placed on everything. We do it all the time. And we ask ourselves, what is that particular thing worth? What is that person worth? What is, what is this avenue? What is it worth? And we, put, we place a certain level of emphasis on something's worth. If something is worthless, how much time do we spend on it? Nothing or not much. We don't. It's not worth our time to focus on something that is worthless in our mindset, right? And that's what it comes down to. And there's a significant moment in the New Testament that has this theme that centers around it. And actually, it centers around two different individuals that I'm going to refer to. And again, it's found in Matthew 3, 13 through 17. And it says right here, 
Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. John, the cousin of Jesus, who was sent by God to pave the way. He was significant, right? Read the New Testament. You can read it and you can know that God had a significant plan for John the Baptist, right? That's a name that maybe some of us heard. This was a significant thing. But John tried to talk Jesus out of it. He's battling with his worth, right? He says, I am the one who needs to be baptized by you. He says, who am I? I don't fit into this equation according to John. He sees who he is stacked up to who he knows to be the savior of the world. He says, there is no place for me to be doing this right now. But Jesus said to him, it should be done like this for we must carry out all that God requires. So with the coaxing of Jesus, John agreed to baptize him. And then after this moment, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on top of him. And a voice from heaven boomed and said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. His worth was laid out for all who heard that moment. It was felt, not just understood. His worth from the mouth of God was placed on Jesus right there. God didn't just show us who Jesus was in general. God showed us who Jesus was to him. God showed us that he loved Jesus before Jesus did anything. And here's what's going on right now in this room and for the lives that you represent in this room. It's not just the battle that we fight because we're in the middle of a battle. This is the battle that your children fight. And I don't care if they're in the nursery right now or if they're in the preschool or if they're in the elementary or if they're going to be at our student ministry tonight. Doors open at 5.30, end at 7.30, shameless plug. Royal Rangers, Missionettes, you want to bring them? It's a great time. You bring them, but they're fighting this battle that I'm about ready to talk about. The people that you are going to go to work and you're going to see face-to-face, they're fighting this battle even though they don't want to give notice or credence to it. It's a battle if you're in the classroom or you coach or you teach your athletes and your students, they battle this. Grandchildren, I'm telling you right now, it is a war that we are fighting, and we're fighting a war for our identity and for our worth. We are fighting a war for our kids and for our families right now. Because listen, if you're not fighting, then you're losing a battle that is going on. It's happening. And there's an adversary that wants nothing more than for you to feel worthless. And then they're going to grab a hold of you, and you're going to feel worthless, and then your kids, your nieces, your nephews, your siblings, they're going to feel like they have no worth, and they have no value, and it's a victory for the other side. We're fighting a battle for this right now, and I don't care what age you are or who you represent, it's going on. We're fighting a war to realize who we were created to be. What is my impact? Because we have it. We've been given a purpose and we've given a plan and I don't know where it is, but what is it? What is it that I'm fighting for? And here are some questions before we even figure that out that we need to consider when it comes to worth. Number one, what is worth? In the truest sense, what is worth? The definition of it in Webster's Dictionary is this. It says good or important enough to justify. Some of us, we don't believe that we're good or important, but we have worth. Good or important enough to justify excellence of character or quality commanding esteem, usefulness or importance to the world, to a person, or to a purpose. There is so much worth in this room, we need to realize it. We need to realize the worth and the value that is in us, in you personally. There's not a single person in this room that has no value. And I don't care what you've heard, what you've been taught, what's going on. So what is worth? We're, start, we're starting, we start going through life not knowing truly what our worth and what our value is. We begin to let other people and what their idea of worth and what our, their idea of our worth and our value start to weigh heavily in our lives. And we let that happen young in age. Sometimes that happens at school early on. You can remember maybe what people said about you. You can remember maybe what teachers said about you. You can remember the negative things. Some of us, we went home and we can remember what our parents said about us and started to define us. And we weren't careful and we took those words true as gold. 
and we start to let it adapt us. And during different stages in our life, we try to find our value in so many different things. We begin to get discouraged, too, when we can't grasp what our true value is. And so that's one thing to consider as we get ready to move on. I'm just trying to lay the foundation. Number two is when considering worth, we've also got to ask, what's the benefit? Right? We got to know what's the benefit of something. If it's worth something, there's a benefit to it, or else it would be worthless, right? So we got under, and we often want to know something's worth to find out what the benefit to us is. I grew up, uh, again, trying to do the math right now, mid 90s, early 2000s. This was significant to me. I was a huge, huge collector of baseball and basketball cards. I loved it. I lived for it, wasted so much money on it. It was devastating to me. And I know. I know that that might see extreme, it might be extreme, I might be over-exaggerating, but it was almost life-endingly devastating to me when I found out that our baseball and basketball cards that I collected completely worthless because they lied to us. <laughs> Tops, flare, ultra, they, they did. They, they were not truthful. They were producing more than what we thought were being out there. And what I thought was expensive was pennies, come to find out, right? But I remember collecting these things. And I remember collecting and trading and we would get together and, and I would, I, I, it's one of the highlights of my life, right? And I see my kids do it with Pokemon cards and I don't understand it and it drives me crazy, but they do it, right? Um, I remember grabbing my collection and going to my friend's house. I had friend, I lived and there was Adam and, and I had a bunch of different kids. But I remember going, Matt was one of my childhood, my childhood friends. Matt wasn't over there, right? childhood friends. He lived about a mile away down, down train tracks that were abandoned. I remember carrying my cards all the way that mile, and we would just sit there and look at our cards. And, we, and everybody, we would get there and be like, oh, hey, I got this Jordan. I got this Rodman. And, and I, everybody had their favorite. One of them, I remember, Kobe Bryant was the GOAT to them, right? And they were all wrong because it was only Jordan. But then we had some Shaq cards and, and Hockey Melajuan, like and Scotty Pippen. And we would get there, and, and there were some that we were willing to come off when we trade. There were some, don't you ever touch that card. Don't even look at it cross. It's the most important card in the, in the entire world. And I remember going through that, right? And, and I remember that we had our, our favorites, but, but the value was placed not so much on how important we were, but the true value of those cards is what somebody was willing to give for it, right? It might have been valuable to me in that moment, but others would look at that card and say, I don't want that Dennis Rodman card. He's a joke, right? And, and again, we would place a value and a significance on something because how we felt and we would constantly do that in things in our lives. And this is so important. This is so, this is so needed to me. And others would look at it and they just don't understand it. And there's no value because it was of no benefit to them, right? And we want to brag about these valuable things that we spent so much trying to find. We want to know that we have things that are of value. And then yet when others look at it, it seems so insignificant to them. I'm, I'm battling this right now, battling navigating would probably be the better term. When it comes to my brother and my sister and I, we're going through the estate and the property of my dad right now who just passed away, right? My dad found value in a lot of things that were very, very important to him, right? I opened up, and, and again, just we would open up his door, and we started looking at his house. And I'm going to tell you the truth. I got overwhelmed with the junk that we'd have to navigate, right? It was significant to him, right? And so then we start looking at it, and he was big into fishing and hunting and taxidermy and all of this stuff and wood carvings. And Thomas would say, well, hey, you know how much he spent on this. And I'd be like, he's crazy. That's firewood. Right? And again, and, and we do that and we navigate it and then we start to figure out, okay, where can we find somebody that sees the benefit of this? That's what we do. And this is the point where I slipped in a slide because I know I have more time second service. I want to show images of this and you guys can let me know how much you're willing to pay and then we'll meet after service if you'd like. I don't know how else to get this done. Um, so... But, listen, but, but truthfully, like, isn't that true? Like, there's some things in our life that we place a value to that others look at and they see no value, they see no benefit, they see no worth, they see complete insignificance. And the reason this is important and I wanted to hit it is because most importantly when considering this, we want to know more than anything, are we something of value personally? Is there a benefit to us being around? And stats are rising of people that are tragically lost daily because their last moments are spent thinking there's no benefit to me being in other people's lives. Yeah. And it's devastating. Yeah. 
What is the benefit of me? What is my personal benefit when I walk to work, when I go to school, when I step home after work in my house? What's my value? What's my worth? What is my benefit? What is the benefit? I sit back and I think, what is the benefit? What is our benefit here as a church? I, I thank God daily that we're at a church, Heartland, here at Vapo and at Wanatal and at North Judson, and at Hebron, and in Westville, and at NPH, and our iCampus, and the other areas that we know God wants to impact. It is one of the greatest honors that I get to sit back and we get to get intense about what does God want us to do so Heartland and God can be a benefit in our communities. Not how can we get our name known, but how can God move? And, And I love being a part of thinking and sitting back and What is going to be the benefit? What is God going to do through our Sunshine Center and families that wake up every single day and they feel like they have no value and they're of no benefit to anybody in their life, but God wants to show them their worth and their value? I'm going to tell you right now, it's so crucial. Are we a benefit to somebody in their life? Are we a benefit to our family? Or are we a benefit to our team? We think about this. Are we a benefit in our band or in our choir? Are we a benefit to our job or are we just tolerated when we walk in? right? Are we a benefit in our community on an individual basis? And are we serving our community collectively through our churches, through our communities in all of our areas? What is our benefit? Because truth be told, we want people to brag about us at a personal level, don't we? We want when people say our names in a group and we're not there, I would so much rather people have nice things to say about me than look around and make sure I'm not present so they can say what they really think. Right, that's, like, again, we want to be valuable to people. We want to have a benefit in people's life. It's so important. We want to hear people talk about our benefit. So what is worth? What's the underlying benefit? And thirdly, what determines it? Because this is the stuff that we struggle with. Our problem is, is that we don't know our own worth, and we try to look in so many areas. We try to look at our environment, the things that we're around on a daily basis, occupationally, whether it's a factory, a mill, a school, an office building, a church. What is our environment? We look at our friends. Does it come from our friends? Does our value, our worth, does it come from, does it come from our family and the generations that came before us and the ones that are growing up under us? We look at the things that we can buy, right? The things that we have. We look at all of this and we're trying to figure out, is this where our worth comes? We compare others around us, Right? Sometimes we look and try to navigate our worth to find out, are we better than this person over here that's doing something similar to me? And if they are, then we feel better about ourselves. Or we look and we see that they're doing something, they're in the similar position and they're doing far better than me and then I feel worse about myself. And what happens when we do that, when we try to find our worth for something, we usually will feel better about ourselves or we will feel worse about ourselves. But the truth is our worth doesn't come from any of that right? Now, it partially can have an effect on some of it, but that's not where it originates from. That's not the birth of our worth. It cannot determine our value and determine our worth. Look back at the scripture real quick that we just read. There's no doubt in my mind that Jesus knew before that moment moment that God spoke and the dove came and the presence of God like a dove on his head and you heard the booming voice of God that Jesus himself knew his worth internally but others knew there was value to Jesus. It said that Jesus was a skilled carpenter. That's his reputation. Skilled probably in ability, but then skilled probably in character, definitely in character. My guess is the savior of the world before he started doing ministry probably took pride in his carpentry. And he probably did everything with excellence. That's where, So people viewed him as having worth in that. But his worth was different when they found out who it came from. Perspectives started to change, right? So we have all of that. Now let's look at our worth. Right, let's let's grab into it as we get ready to we get ready to land this a little bit. Our worth, number one, misunderstood. So I'll ask you, I asked you, what is your name? And maybe you wrote it down, maybe you didn't, maybe you locked it in your brain because you're really good at that. I'm not. The second question, what is your worth? Like, right? Ask that. That's a question that comes up in different stages of our life. What is your worth? People ask, what's your net worth? What is, what's worth? What, how valuable are you, right? And we look at that. And, and we look at it by a bunch of different things. Like, we'll start thinking uh, process. Like, what's my wage, 
right? Not my age. What is my wage? How much do I make? You start thinking about your different accounts, bank account, savings account. You might think about your investments that you have, assets. What things do I own, right? Or, or maybe you start thinking, well, I'm going to look at my education because I graduated high school. Then I went, I got my bachelor's and I've got a couple masters. I'm working on my doctorate and, or I went to med school. I went to law and you have all this and all of a sudden your worth is coming with your education or maybe your achievements, right? Or maybe your mind can go, well, let me think about my house and look at the equity I have on my house. And you'll start doing the, the cost, the debt to income uh, rate, like equation in your head, right? You start, maybe you start thinking about the car that you drive or the cars that you drive or the toys that you have, the motorcycles, the four wheelers, the, the fun stuff that, that you see your kids have. You might start thinking about the travel ball that we're involved in and the fact we can, do, we can go do X, Y, Z and it's not, it's not a, a hassle or it's not a burden on my family to provide this for my kids and this is, this is what it is, this is what it's about. And we start, we start thinking about that and our worth is starting, we start to think that it's like that. Maybe it's our friends and the quality, not just the quantity. And we start, we've got good friends, we've got a good network and this is great. We start, it's like we talked about before, we focus so much on the value of what other people place on it. Like for example, like, I, I'm going to just say a couple of things, and some of you are going to know you're going to know it right away. Like, what does uh, PlayStation 5 cost, right? Anywhere from $500 to $800, right? That, that is something people are willing to pay right now. I know they're willing to pay for it because you can barely find one in the store. They, they go like crazy, right? Or a new car right now, right? A new car anywhere from fifty dollars to $100,000 new, right? That's, that's the reality we live in. So, or, or how about a, a new house, right? Especially the last few years, hundreds of thousands of dollars going in to digits, uh, zeros that I'll never even be able to fathom. So I'll just stick with like a couple few hundred thousand dollars. That's houses, right? That, or, or how about this? We were just having a conversation with our friends. They breed golden retrievers. And that's something that, uh, like we've got an issue personally, so pray for us about this. It's really my wife's, I've assumed it, right? It's her problem that now I have to live with. They breed golden retrievers, and she goes, how much would a new golden retriever puppy cost, right? I'm thinking, oh, here we go. Um, and he goes, $1,500. I'm like, nope, 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 nope. We're going to go to the shelter. We'll figure it out. We'll get on a waiting list, right? But that's like, but here's the thing. All of that stuff, like we know it. We price that stuff out. But I'm going to tell you right now, that's not its value. That's its cost. That's what people at certain points are willing to pay for it. People are willing to pay $1,500 for a golden retriever puppy, but they probably wouldn't give me $25 for my 11-year-old golden retriever that sheds all over my couch, right? We know that. People are willing to pay that for a brand new, like, mint uh, home construction, but they walk into a house, the roof is falling apart, windows are broken, the carpet smells like dog uh, and, and, and pet like and it's like furniture all tattered up and there's smoke in the walls and they and they're not willing to pay that at that moment air conditioning needs to replace like understand that that's the cost it's not the value we got to look we look so much at what things cost but we forget to look deeper and see the true value and the real meaning of what these things have and we hear about the benefit of certain things and we place value on a misunderstood concept of what worth is and what this does is it causes us to lose track of what's important to us. And we try to find worth and value in things that in five years will be almost worthless, nothing, right? Or in five years, we won't even be on this earth to enjoy them. And we've started focusing so much of our attention on things that truly have no eternal impact. And so we do this. And we let the gratification of these things replace the important things that God has given us. And two, second thing, when understanding and can, like starting to consider all this, we got to remember that our worth is not determined by people. It's so dangerous to find our worth in what people say about us. I mentioned it because that'll either give us an inflated self-worth or a deflated self-worth if we listen to others. When we start listening to people around us, we'll start believing what they say, unfortunately. When we grow up and we're told you're going to end up just like your dad, we start believing that at a certain age. You're going to end up just like your family. Your family doesn't go to college. College isn't for you. Get in a trade. And we start believing it. Before we've even been in middle school or high school, we start believing it. You're going to be an alcoholic just like your family. And so you start hearing that stuff, and, and you start thinking to yourself, well, what's the point of even trying? Because I've already had this attached to me. 
Why try to take different avenues? Why try to start walking the path that I thought God told me I would be walking down, but everybody else says I should be walking down the path that's laid out before me, right? And we start doing that, and we start letting people determine our value. And, and we understand that. And before you know it, we've settled into a name that was not given to us by the name giver. We start believing in the identity that somebody else has tried attaching to us that was not created inside of us, and we get miserable. And, what, and then with that, we started to let it become truly who we are. But it doesn't have to stay that way. Because if we'll allow him to, God, as we ask him to transform our lives, which a lot of us have done in this room, but we still struggle, when we ask him to do that, he will also... And we ask him to transform our situations. He will also start transforming our name, our identity. He'll start instilling in us our true worth that was with us from the very, very beginning that we got away from. If we'll allow him to. If we come to him about that. If we, if we go to him and humbly say, God, I've placed so much emphasis on things, but yet I still have no idea who I am. God will give you a new name. He says that in Isaiah 62 and 2. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. Many of us in this room right now, we've been held back in life by what we believe. Others have called us something. They've labeled us something. Maybe it's because it's been identified. It's been an identifier of our family for generations, right? Or maybe some of us, it's been because of mistakes that we've made, and our name is synonymous with that. Or our successes. But we come to God, and he gives us a new one. And God knew the importance of this. I, I believe this without, like, with every fire of my being. We don't serve an ignorant God that does not know what's happening. We don't. We serve a very, a God, the God of wisdom is who we serve. That's our, that's our God. And he understands the significance of a name, and he understands the significance of our value and the significance of our worth. And he shows us that over and over in the word of God if we, if we start noticing these moments. When we read it, we actually dig into it. And we see that through some characters in the Bible as we've, we've navigated before, like Abram and Sarai, right? synonymous when people of that time heard their names in the old testament it's because they were barren and they had plans of a large family they had desires of a large family but they could not conceive and so when people would hear their names each whether individually or together they would think of the couple that could not have kids but yet so deeply wanted it they wanted that family but god reinstilled in them their worth and re-showed them their purpose and the plan that he had for them. And for them to believe it, he gave them a new name. And so then now when people heard of Abraham and Sarah, the father of many nations, that was synonymous with what they heard because they needed a new name to believe the purpose that he had for them, right? We see that, we saw that in the life of Saul in the Bible. You know, Saul, who God gave a new name in the New Testament, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament that we teach from and that we believe and that we get the character and the will of God. Saul spent the majority of his ministry before Christ tracking down and turning in people that were believers of the way, Christ followers, people that either saw Jesus and wanted to spread that news or heard about the miraculous power of Jesus, and, they were, and it was spreading like wildfire. So Saul dedicated his life to tracking down these families, turning them over to the government so they would be killed. He knew his decision ended in death of these Christ followers. He knew it. He knew what he was doing, and he was doing it for a wage. And he was doing it for clout. And people knew when they heard the name of Saul, it says that they were struck with fear if they heard Saul was coming. His name was synonymous and emotions were welled up when they heard that name. And then God had an interaction with them and showed him, Jesus showed him his purpose that he had. Not that he was given, his purpose that was instilled in him showed him again, revealed to him the purpose that he had and what God wanted to use. He gave him a new name to go along with that purpose. Yeah. 
that now when people hear the name of Paul, they're knowing of hope and they're knowing of light and they know of what Jesus has for them and not of what Saul was bringing to them, destruction and death. They now knew of hope and grace and love. And Jesus, understand, God knows the power of a name and he's given us a new name in here and that name is forgiven. All of us. The very fiber of our understanding needs to come from the fact that Jesus, that God has forgiven us and we deserve it. I mean, we don't deserve it. He's given, we have acted enough in our lives to where the only thing that gets us through is the forgiveness of God. He has it for us even though we don't deserve it. Even when we don't feel worth it. But we'll grow into that name if we believe him for it. So in closing, as we get ready to wrap this up, worth is misunderstood. It's not determined by men. And number three, our worth is only as valuable as what somebody is willing to pay for it. And that's it. And we see it in so many different areas of our life when we, we jump on Facebook Marketplace and somebody wants $8,600 for a golf cart that was like $4,000 like three years ago. And you're like, what in the world are they thinking? People are paying for it, right? No matter how frustrating it gets for me when I see it, like that's what people are paying for. It has no bearing what I think it's worth. Somebody's willing to pay that price for it, right? As humans, it's our nature to place so much weight on the opinions of others, isn't it? And then we face the harsh reality that when we put all that weight on what people think about us, that we actually didn't mean that much to those people in the first place. We cared so much about their opinion of us at different stages in our life. And we, some of us in this room, we've, we've fought that during so many different seasons. We fought it in middle school, in high school, in college. We fought it in our marriages. We fought it occupationally. We sacrificed so much for people that truly used us. And that happens. And we place all of our bearing on that. And after every breakup and every breakdown and every rock bottom, get this, God still remains even when others didn't. And to top it all off, when it seems like others won't even spend a second of their time with you when you need it the most, when it feels like you need comfort and you need a hand and you sit there waiting because people haven't seen you like they usually do, you've been absent and you're just there waiting for somebody to reach out to you, please notice I've been missing. Please notice that I'm not talking as much as I usually do. Please notice that I've got some form of hurt in my life. Please notice that I'm battling something. And we're sitting there and we're waiting and that phone call, that text message, that conversation never comes. God isn't only still there, but was there for you while you battled it. He was there for you sometimes while you dug your own hole. He was there for us when we faced that rebellion, when we initiated that rebellion against the plans that God had for us. He was still there. As people abandoned us, God never did. He was there for us during our selfishness. He was there for us when we realigned our priorities against what God had actually called us to. And he still remained. There's a quote that I heard. It was a couple of years back, and it's it's a, it was a significant quote to me, and, and I have it for you, and this is a quote that changed my mindset, but it changed my mindset, and it, it had me reflect a little bit, okay, well, what does the Bible say about this? I want to make sure that my mindset, when it shifts, it's grounded in the Word of God, and, and, and I used to care a lot, just to be transparent with you, I used to care a lot of what people think about me and what people thought about me, right? If somebody would say something, I used to care. Um, and it was a big fault for me. And this, this quote realigned that. And some might say um, that, especially those closest to me, that maybe I should let it uh, sink in a little bit, that maybe I should actually care a little bit more about what people think of me. But hey, here I am. Pray for me, right? Like just an example is uh, my sister-in-law, Emma, loves to give me a hard time, right? She does that. And so for me, like I know that she thinks something of me, like, oh, great, John's preaching. I'm not going to get out anytime soon, right? I'm like, well, hey, let me add stuff for whatever service she shows up to right? And we'll see what she thinks afterwards, right? But, but again, like that's, that's, that's something, I used to care so much about it. And then this, this, this scripture, it changed, or this quote, it changed as a quote by David Foster Wallace. Maybe you've heard it before. He said this, you'll stop worrying about what other people think of you when you realize how seldom they do. Yeah. I'll say it again. Yeah. You'll, re, you'll stop worrying what other people think, what other people think of you when you, what, when you realize how seldom they do. Let me tell you something, uh, Lindsay, Pastor Lindsay, you can go ahead and come up. When I first heard this quote, it shifted something mighty in my heart. 
It took me to the book of Psalm, and it showed me something in the inverse, uh, the inverse of this reality a little bit, that we worry so little of what God thinks of us, and we all, but yet we're always on his mind. And I have an excerpt of it, but it's going to be on your screen of Psalm 139. This is a, Dave, a psalm of David, a divinic psalm, right, that, that he penned at some point, and there's, there's some debate, and I don't know if the debate is worth it or not, that some say it might have been as he was navigating through something, he was understanding who God was. Some people were saying this was after he had gone through so many trials, uh, after he had public humiliation of adultery and murder, and, and that maybe this was understanding of who God was during that. Some people will even say that this was before, and this was his firm grasp of who his God was. Regardless, this is a psalm that David wrote, and it says, O Lord, you have examined my heart, and you know everything about me. That's scary to me. I'm just going to be honest with you. When I understand it, it's very invasive, Dean, to know that I serve a God that knows every single thing about this right here and this right here. And he says that you know everything. You know when I sit down and you know when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see when I travel and you see when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. That's very, very humbling to me as well because I've got a very, very good filter. In spite of what Kelsey thinks, I've got a very, very good filter that yet before it filters through the should I say this and should I not say this, God knows it before it even goes through it. That's humbling to me that he knows my thoughts, he knows my heart, he knows my, my impulsive intrusive things that I deal with, that he knows all of it. And he says, you go before me and you follow me. You place your hand a blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. He said, I can never escape your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. And if I go down to the grave, you are here. You are there. If I ride the wings of the morning and if I dwell from the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me. I could ask the darkness to hide me from you and the light around me to become night, but even in the darkness I cannot hide from you. No matter how far I've ran from God, no matter how much I've tried to hide from my choices and my mistakes and my thoughts and my doubts, the battles that, that we sometimes battle, in that moment God is still there. As we, as we wrestle with ourselves, God is wrestling with us. He is, he is there. He says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. It seems kind of braggadocious of David, like in that moment, but we'll still read it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. And as I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in my book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand, David said. And when I wake up, you are still with me. And I'm going to tell you, when I read that, when I, re when I read that, I almost read it as, in spite of all of this, you are still with me. Even though you know my thoughts, even though you know my life in the light and my life in the dark, the things I battle with, the things I say, the, what goes through my filter before it comes out of my mouth, in spite of all of this, you are with me. I can't help but think if people even knew a small percentage point of what God does, they would flee from me. But he remains. He's with us. And for some of us in this room, we have felt so worthless, whether it be because of what people have said or what maybe what we've done, the life that we've been raised in, the situations that we've had. Some of them uh, were in our control and some of them completely out of our control that God has placed a value, there is worth inside of you. Yeah. 
And when we hear that, it doesn't make this next excerpt that I have from Paul with Saul, the one that was responsible for the end of so many Christ followers, doesn't it make it just that much more powerful? The same man that searched and had murdered and killed for his own gain before this name, before this new purpose, before this new identity, that he wrote this after that interaction, after God came to him with his new name and his new identity. He says it in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. It says, It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. He's saying it's not that long ago that you were dealing with this stuff. You let the world that does not know the first thing about living tell you how to live. Some of us in this room, we can relate so hard to that. He said, you filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and exhaled disobedience. He goes on to say, we all did it. Paul, out of his own mouth. He says, we all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. All of us. He said, it's a wonder that God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if I was God, I would have done that to me. I know, I, again, I can't fathom sometimes that God can use somebody like he uses me or that he can use people the way, but yet he does and he still sees worth and he still sees value in us. He said, instead, immense in mercy and with incredible love, he embraced us, embraces us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all of this on his own with no help from us get that we don't have to do a thing it's not about the next steps beyond of what God is going to do inside of us if we would just let him then he picked us up and he set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus our Messiah we can place our worth on so many things if you would stand we're gonna get ready to close worship team you can go ahead and come up with Lindsay Pastor Lindsay we can place our worth in several things so much stuff It can be good stuff, it can be negative stuff, it can be bad stuff that we place our worth in, but without God's grace, everything in our life, worthless. We have so much worth in who God is and who he has for us, so much value, but we can't even touch it until we realize the value of God and his love and that he paid the highest price that we could ever imagine that the value of something is only in what somebody is willing to pay for it. And God paid the highest price in his son, Jesus Christ, for you and for me. One of the most humbling things that I could ever think of is that God sacrificed so much so that we could be here today to share the love that he has for us. In spite of our mistakes, in spite of our failures, in spite of our stubbornness and our attitudes and our anger and our doubt and sometimes our rebellion, that he did that for us personally because he sees a very individual worth and purpose and value in each and every single one of us. Some of us, you've been walking in it and you need to continue it. Others of us, you need to realize it so you can see God do incredible things in you and through you. He paid the highest price, and it's all about his grace. And we need to understand this. You are not what you have done in your life. You are what God says you are in your life, that you're not your mistakes. You're not your failures. Simply put, all you are is what God says about you and who God says you are, and that is forgiven. That is redeemed. That is purchased that when maybe others saw so little in you, he saw so much for a much higher price than anybody could ever imagine. Father God, right now, I pray over single man, woman, child that's in this room. God, I pray over their minds. I pray over their hearts. God, I pray over the lives and the families that they're here right now. God, I pray over the things that they're battling when they think about their name, when they're thinking about their worth, when they think about their role in other people's lives. God, I pray over every single bit of that. That God, as they process their worth, as they process their value, my prayer is that God, that you can reveal to them right now in this moment 
the value and the worth that you instilled inside of them and that you see and that you've been there for them. And that, God, you would purchase them over and over and over and over again, regardless, in spite of. You're such a loving God that even when we don't feel worth it and we don't deserve it, Lord, you still offer it. Thank you for listening to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. If you would like to partner with us and give, please go to hcc.ag and click to give tab. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. Also, if you have a prayer request or want to contact Heartland, please email us at pastorphil at hcc3d.com. Have a blessed week.